Rissa, thank you very much. Say, I got uh, an additional word about the Spark Kids that we have, we'll be able to take in next Sunday. And I'm told they could be two months old, but they have to be mobile. They have to be four on the floor and moving. So they have to be crawlers. And so if you have this miraculous two-month-old that can crawl, then bring your two-month-old. But other than that, um, like if you got a 14-month-old, be sure that four on the floor, moving and everything. So that's where we'll start. Then that's up through pre-K as well. We're excited to open that up. This, there's nothing like um, being together as the church and having what we just had in worship. And, uh, and I say that for those of you that are uh, at home, there's nothing like doing this worship uh, together. But I would say even more so that there is nothing like being in this room with a room full of Christ followers worshiping in the same room. And so I say that because I know a lot of you that are not here with us, and many of you are not even local. I know and love many of you, but some of you are local. And I would just say when it's safe for you to come, come be in this room for this time to worship together. There's nothing like that. A few years back, our son Daniel suggested that I might enjoy running on the Seabrook Trails. In the town of Seabrook, there are over 10 miles of a network of trails, mostly interconnected. And it's, it's really, I would say it's, it's beautiful. Don't set your expectations sky high. It's not Colorado beautiful, but it's really beautiful. There are a lot of trees. Part of it's actually wooded. There's some water features around it. It's easier on the body to run on that versus concrete. So I began to go there. My favorite spot in the trails, there's this section where this, there's this tree-covered canopy. The limbs of the trees on both sides actually cover the entire trail. I mean, they cut out all of the light there. In summertime, it's beautiful. Like no uh, sunlight beating down upon you. And, and it's, it's deeply wooded on the ground there. Uh, part of the area has these uh, pine needles, which make it a softer surface to run upon. So this became my favorite section of the trails. I would always go over this section until one day I was running and I ran right up on a snake. I got a really close look at him. It was the first time in a long time I've been glad I run so slow, because if I'd run faster, I would have run right into him. But he got out of the way. I went home and I looked up this snake, and it most certainly uh, was a water moccasin, very poisonous. And I thought, man, what a, what a one-off to see a snake there. So a few runs later, I'm in the same favorite section, and I run up on another water moccasin. And I think, who would have thought it could happen twice? Three or four more runs there, I run up on two water moccasins, and, and it dawns on me that this beautiful canopy that I've been enjoying so much and keeping the heat off of me is keeping all of the light out of there. And it is dark, and that's why I keep running up on them, and I can't see them and everything. And so, so there's this lack of light piercing the darkness. So I have never run that section of Seabrook Trails again. I haven't even walked it. Because I don't run much faster than walking, so any speed. I, I have never been on that section again. I go back and run other sections, but not that one. Because, because God made physical light for us so we could see where to put our feet. We could simply see where to step. Genesis opens up, Genesis 1, with this creation story. And you get to the third sentence, you get to verse 3. It says, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. I love that he just spoke. And this stunning miracle of light just responded and became <laughs> It became. Then he separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day and the darkness night. Or did I say, I skipped a sentence. He saw that the light was good. It helps us see where to place our feet. I've been an early riser most of my adult years. I usually get up before Marie. So virtually every morning when I get up, as soon as I leave the bedroom and close the door, I reach for the light switch because I don't want to be stumbling around in the dark. Now, the psalmist 
realized that we need a kind of light apart from physical light to be able to see where the potholes are in our path, where the landmines are in our path, where the cliff is we might walk off of. In Psalm 119, 105, he would speak about a different kind of light that we need. He would say, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a, guide, a, a, a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. When he says your word, he's speaking of the Bible. He had only part of it at that time. Part of it had not been written. We have all of it. He's saying your word, the Bible, shines light for us. And I want to touch upon three things it shines light on. I'll touch upon them briefly, hoping that we can get really clear on these three things and we can take and apply this for a long, long time to come. So God's word shines light on, on first, we'll talk about right and wrong. He shows us this is right, this is wrong. He shines light on who we are, who we really are. He shines light on who he is, on who God is. So I'll start with God shining light on, on right and wrong. And I want to start with, with a passage I've used before. It's such a, an anchor passage to learning how to live life, learning who God is and who we are and the difference. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He says, your thoughts are nothing, nothing like mine. Your, my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. And this applies to many areas, but one area it applies to it is simply what is right and what is wrong. God, God's standard is, is heaven high. He's saying you can't even comprehend how high the standard is. So the reality is our, our moral standards fall far short of God's standards. Our human moral standards. If we as, as humanity could collectively come to some agreement, there would be some differences. This is apart from God uh, adjusting our view of this. But we would come to some agreement. Most human beings would say it's, it's wrong to, to murder someone. That's just wrong. It's, it's wrong to steal. Most human beings would, would agree on, on certain things. But God is saying, you don't begin to know the half of it. You can't even imagine just how high the bar is. So I want to look at a couple of examples that I, I think might hit us where we are, and we can apply then far beyond this for years to come. In Matthew 5, chapter 5 through chapter 7, is what is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' teaching. It's the most famous sermon ever given, ever recorded. And the very first chapter that, of that, in chapter 5, there are six places where Jesus says, you have heard it said, and then he talks about some practice. You have heard it said, like some practice that people believe, and then he says, but I say differently. I, I say you need a different practice. He says that six times. I want to pick one of those as an illustration, and it really is where maybe we've been living. It's where I've been living it's in chapter 5, verses 43 to 47. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your brothers... What are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. He said just the, the standard mindset would be love your neighbors or love those like you, similar to you, 
and hate the ones who are your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So I've thought about these polarizing times we've been living in. The animosity, the vitriol that we are living amidst, amidst the hate and anger that's more than I have ever experienced in my lifetime in the United States of America. And I think about the, the, the you have heard it said, like, love your neighbor, love those that are like you, love those that are near you in and, and ideas and direction and beliefs, love those people, but, but hate those who are your enemies. And that I think would be the, much the norm. He says, this is, this is just normal human thought. This is the way you do life. When you and I turn on TV, if it's news, we see this being played out. When we view the streets of America and what uh, has often gone from protests to angry riots with combatants on both sides, when we open social media and see the interaction taking place there, this is what we see. We can so easily be drawn to loving those who are like us and hating and vilifying those with very different views than ours. And Jesus says this is wrong. He says, this is sin. He says, righteousness is to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So I probably heard this verse when I was a child. I grew up in church. I, I know I heard it through my teenage years. Through my adult years, I became a Christ follower at 30. I've read it many times. I've probably taught on it before. So this is where I found myself. Yesterday, as I'm preparing this message, and even had already developed this point, I, I flipped on the TV, and there's this uh, man speaking on TV, and he's loud and angry and aggressive, and in my view, he's very insulting. And do you know, do you know what the honest like, thoughts that kept into my mind were? The, the first word was jerk. I, I thought, what a jerk. And, this, and then I thought what we should do about the jerk, I thought we should muzzle him. I just, just muzzle him. And, and I, I'm processing that. And Jesus is kind of, I can kind of, since Jesus kind of nodded his head, yeah, yeah, you got that problem too. All these years you got that problem too. And because I'm, I'm looking at this light piercing my darkness right now, this very week, it broke through. And I thought, no, that my attitude is not what Jesus says is right. My attitude is wrong. My attitude is actually sin. And I found my heart as I was listening to him because he continued on in the very same vein. I didn't turn the TV off. I, I found my heart just beginning to soften because I, I thought this man is loved by God. I mean, God made this man. He's loved by God. My heart began to soften. And I, I remember Jesus' words, pray for him. And I began to do that. I began to pray for his well-being. I began to pray that he would have, whether he has it yet or not, he would he would, um, if he didn't know Jesus yet, he would come to know Jesus and be transformed by Jesus in all the ways Jesus wants to change him. If he already knows him, I prayed that he would have more of Jesus. I prayed that if there was anything wrong about his ideas, beliefs, actions, Jesus would change them. You know what? I actually had a much better day yesterday. I, I really had a better day. And you know what? I actually did something that might have mattered. I prayed for him. I prayed for him. And I had this sense of Jesus saying, I am thankful you let my light pierce the darkness for you and remind you of right from wrong. How have you been doing with this in the season that we've been in with the people that we've maybe been uh, around in, within our nation and maybe even much, much closer than that? By the way, to do what Jesus says does not compromise our values. Actually, it causes us to live out our values, doesn't it? To love someone 
In fact, to love someone who seems to us to be the least lovable, isn't that living out the values we really believe in and want to hold and live out? It's not to compromise our values. It's to live out our values. God's word pierces the darkness for us. The psalmist was right. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. He was right about that. God's word shines light on right and wrong. I'll give you one more example because I think this may help. It's it's one that I need reminders of again and again. In Matthew 6, so it's the very next chapter, Jesus talks about, he says, don't worry. And then he says, look at the birds of the air. My wife, a bird watcher, says that some translations say, look at the birds, period. She says, it's a command from God. You know, we should be, all be bird watchers. He says, look at the birds. There's actually a bigger point he makes in bird watching. And he says, don't you see God feeds them? Hey, you're all worried about whether you'll eat. And look at the birds, God feeds them. Then he says, look at the lilies of the field. He says, they are more beautifully adorned and dressed than King Solomon in all of his glory and grandeur. And King Solomon was, and maybe is, in perspective, comparison, maybe the richest man ever to live. And he loved the grandeur of it all. So aren't the lilies of the field dressed more beautifully by God? He says, don't worry. So I'll take the passage where Paul picks this up in Philippians 4, 6. Paul states in, for God this command, don't worry about anything Light, piercing, darkness, saying worry is not right, worry is wrong. How difficult has it been not to worry in the season we've lived in for the better part of a year? Not to worry in the midst of a pandemic, worry about you or someone you love contracting COVID virus. How difficult has it been in the financial struggles, the financial difficulties, the questions about jobs that may or may not last? How difficult has it been not to worry How difficult in all the social upheaval not to worry in the midst. How difficult in the middle of an important, critical, contentious election not to worry. But but Jesus says, God says, worrying is, is is on the wrong side. It's not on the right side. In Philippians, I'll read the rest of the verse to you. It says, don't worry about anything. It says, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank him for what he's given you. That already can begin to shift to turn to God. To turn to him in prayer and tell him what you need. And when you and I do that, we are reminded of who he is, aren't we? We are reminded we are not alone in our need. Tell him what you need. And then thank him for what he's done, which reminds us the kind of God he's already been for our lives. I love when Chris said, we know what you're like in the rearview mirror, God. You have never let us down, and you never will going forward. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. God's word piercing the darkness. God's light piercing the darkness in our lives. I'll come back to this worry piece because these other two areas we'll look at about when you and I see who we really are, we will be less prone to worry. When we see who God really is, we will be less prone to the temptation and the sin of worry. God's word shines light on right and wrong. God's word shines light on who we are. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. Listen to this. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between, think about yourself, between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. God's saying, It's my word. When you open it up, I will shed light. I will show you who you really are. Because apart from God telling us, we never get it right. 
I will show you who you really are. And there's much I could say about this. We've taught extensively about this before. But I want to hit a couple of things because I think they may hit home right now. The first thing is this. This is what I know about me. And quickly you'll know about whether it's true of you. I know at the core, I am the much loved child of God. That is the essence of who I am. And I know that because of 1 John 1, 5, 1. Sorry, 1 John 5, 1. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. Everyone that believes that Jesus is the Christ, to flesh that out for you, if you've trusted Jesus with your life, trust him to forgive you and lead you, then this applies to you. And if that's true for you, then, then it says that you are this child of God. We know from the other scriptures, we know from his nail-pierced hands, you are the much-loved child of God. That is the essence of who you are. There's a lot of details that can get fleshed out on that, and that can be very helpful. But if you know at the very core, the one central true thing about you, if you're a follower of Jesus, is you're you're the much-loved child of God. I was at a retreat called, it's a Sunscape retreat that's for pastors. And in fact, uh, um, Marissa and Tor McCoy, I just returned from the same retreat. And I remember one of the stories told there that has remained with me. There was a, there is a man named Edmund Farrell. And he was in Ireland, and he was visiting his 80-year-old dad. They're in Ireland. It's early, early morning. They're walking on one of the beaches of Ireland. And the sun begins to rise. And, and he writes and says, this is spectacular sunrise. And so we're just walking in silence. And we're in this utter awe with my 80-year-old dad. And all of a sudden, my 80-year-old dad begins to skip down the beach. And he shouts out, Me father is very fond of me. Me father is very fond of me. And that has stuck with me about he was so clear in that moment. So clear. He is the much-loved child of God. And he couldn't contain himself, be limited by walking. And he couldn't hold in this reality that my father is very fond of me. When you and I know that, and we hear Jesus say, you know, you really shouldn't worry. It's not good. It's not right. And you realize who you are. Like the much-loved child of God. Isn't it a lot easier to switch the worry to faith and trust, isn't it? God's word shines light on who we are. I'll give you one more example as well. This is a personal one, but I, I share it because I think it would apply. Um, I, I, I've said this before. Uh, I had great parents. In fact, if I could choose from all the people in history I've ever known or read about, I would choose them. So I feel like blown away. Uh, but I, I grew up, and they, this is not what they were trying to accomplish, but I grew up thinking that my worth was largely tied to my performance. I've shared the story of maybe why. It helps if you, a lot of you are in the same boat. If you figure out why, it's easier to unravel it. I figured out why. The, the earliest memory of that would be, and I, again, I've mentioned this, but some of you are new. The earliest memory was going to first grade. Deep South Texas, Star County. Uh, English is my first language. Most of my classmates, they've already mastered Spanish. They already have a first language. They're on their second language. It's English. And so we're, English is being taught, and I am excelling. I am the star student. It hadn't dawned on me. This is their second language. They already got one down. I'm excelling. I go home straight A's, and, and my parents have probably said, way to go. Well done. And, and, and there was something that kind of clicked. That's my worth. My value is, is in my performance. And so I kept that at, 
at some operating level, not even probably identified for a long, long time through my life. I met Jesus at 30. I began to know him and follow him. I knew intellectually, I knew theologically that wasn't right, but I hung on to that at the deepest level. When you're an engineer, you can kind of navigate that because engineering, a lot of stuff, it's right or wrong. Hey, there's no question. You're in the oil business, you drill a well, hoping for oil. If you hit oil, you were right. If you don't, you're right. I mean, it's crystal clear. I mean, if you're, if you're performance-driven and you want a good scorecard, become an engineer. You know, be, be in that kind of business and everything. So even as a Christ follower, that continued. And even when becoming a pastor, which is much more difficult because it's so nebulous about whether you did good or not. It really, really is. You go through a day and you pour everything out. And at the end of the day, you think, man, I'm going to go home and cut the grass because I can see I actually cut the grass. I actually made some progress, crystal clear. And then a long time ago, as a pastor, I read again for the, I don't know, 50th time, Colossians 2.10. And if you struggle with this, listen to this. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You are complete simply because you've trusted Christ, because of your union with him. You don't need to add anything else. You don't have to perform well today. You are complete, full, total, nothing missing. Just get up another morning and follow me. Just get up another morning and follow me. You are complete. So I've gone back to this verse over and over and over again. And man, if there's probably some little molecules left of performance stuff going on, but most of them have been pushed out over time. God's word pierces the darkness and it shines light on who we really are. Are. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. God's word shines light on right and wrong on who we are and on who God is. And I've taught an entire series on who God is, and it didn't begin to touch the breadth of who He is, the depth of who He is. But but I'm going to give you a list of, of characteristics and qualities. I want you to hear them and let them compound, let them be additive and and add up and ponder who he is. He is holy, which means he's set apart. He's other, other than there is none like him. He is righteous, which means he always does what is right and good. Always. He is all powerful. Don't, don't miss the all powerful. He is all knowing. He is present everywhere. He is trustworthy. He is just, yet he is also fully merciful. He is love. And he never changes. He is unchanging. He is unchanging. And as we look to God's word and let him pierce the darkness about our view of God, as we see God more and more clearly, it becomes more and more clear how we live this life out where we put our steps, where we look, and think back to worry again. If worry is a problem and you know it's a sin to worry, if you and I get clearer and clearer about who he is, think of that list. That's not the complete list. That's just the part. Think about who he is. If you're a follower of Jesus, think about you are a much-loved child of him, and won't it dispel the worry? When the worry creeps back 30 minutes later, won't it dispel it again and an hour later and a day later again and again and again? Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and light into my path. I shared that being an early riser, so for most of my adult years, I'll get up in the morning, I'll close the bedroom door, and I'll reach for the light switch. 
I began to follow Jesus in October of 1984. Within two or three months of that, I began to wake up in the morning, close the bedroom door, turn on the light switch, because I, I was reaching for the light switch, and then I would reach for my Bible. And so since uh, sometime late 84, that's what happens almost every morning. I reach for the Bible and I read. I just begin to read. And I've been doing it for 36 years. And uh, part of what appalls me now is how much I have to learn again. There are things I've learned and learned and learned like the, you know, what I shared about loving your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. I'm learning, having learned again and again. But, but, but that's my only shot. My only shot of walking in the light is to do that. And so here's the application. Many of you do that, and I would encourage you in that. I'm going to give you some specific questions to ponder between now through Thanksgiving. But a lot of you aren't doing that yet. But I would urge you to do this from now through Thanksgiving. It's just two and a half weeks. It's not long, but it's long enough to see God speak and long enough for him to pierce darkness and long enough for you to get addicted to doing this. And so each morning, reach for God's word. If you're already reading scripture someplace, then just continue on. If you're not reading scripture, then I might suggest you start with Matthew chapters 5 through 7. I taught a couple of things out of that. Matthew 5 through 7. There's so much that's so profound there. It may, you may not get through that in two and a half weeks. And you may read a couple of verses and say, oh my God, I got to sit in this light and let this pierce darkness for me. Or if, you're, if you've read that many times, then you might uh, start with Luke chapter 1. Just begin to read Luke. So each morning, reach for God's word. And then ask what light these verses shine on three things. Ask what light the verses you just read shine on right and wrong. Was there something what you read that shines light on right and wrong that you go, aha. Now I see how to walk in the light now. Is there something, is there some light these verses shine on who you are? That, that tell you more clearly who you really are. Is there something, some light shined on who God is? And then simply live in that light. Friends, I'm so glad that Genesis, God said, let there be light. And he created physical light. But I've come to a point I'm even more thankful and grateful that he says, my word is a lamp to guide your feet and a light for your paths. May we walk and live in his light. We're going to have a worship song now that um, it so fits the entire theme today. And the band's going to be coming up, and, and you guys will get to begin to sing it in a moment. It's become one of my favorite songs. On study break in October, it was uh, on my playlist over and over, Marie's as well. But it's about the goodness of God. It's about this sheer goodness of God. And there's some truth in this song that, that might pierce some darkness that you didn't even realize you've been living in. And so I would invite you when they begin, you guys uh, stand and begin to join in in this worship.